So you are tuned into the Story Behind the Business podcast with your hosts, Adam Bessie and Joel McDonald. We are missing Leyland Deano today, so much love virtually to him. Um, and Joel, why don't you intro our, our guest for today? Yeah, our guest today is Nick Badeshi. He is the CEO of Blue Meta. Good afternoon, Nick. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Right on. Why don't you uh, maybe just start, Nick, and talk a little bit about... Um, what is Blue Meta, what you guys do, and then we can get into how you guys are working right now in this crazy world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Blue Meta is uh, in basically a digital marketing agency um, with like a very, very strong focus on data. So um, being in the agency world for about a decade now um, and acquiring different businesses within that um, space. Uh, reviewed a lot of different agencies and uh, their commonality seems to be that, you know, people just aren't data focused and they're not particularly sales focused either, which is kind of an interesting take. Um, so we just saw this gap in the marketplace for, you know, data driven results for sales and marketing. Yeah, I think in terms of uh, you, you touch on a great and obviously full disclosure, uh, we've chatted, uh, we've worked with you guys before. So a lot of this uh, is inside information that we're, we're getting uh, with each other. But um, I think the thing that attracts me the most about your guys' organization is, is you lead with the data focus first and foremost. Um, so really interested to kind of find out from you just in terms of with, I know it's a little early because it's only been about a month and a half since the COVID stuff has happened, but uh, how, how, how was the reaction with all the companies? Like what was the initial reaction when this happened? What were some of the conversations you had with some of your clients? And because you're, you're all about data, is it, hey, we got to wait to see, you know, what the next few weeks look like before we can assess it? Or were you guys like, let's go right now? Um, so the, there's a short and long answer. So the, the short answer is everybody panicked and then cooler heads prevailed about a week and a half later. Yeah. Um, the long answer is there is a distinct change in behavior based on the level of experience and acumen, uh, business and strategic, uh, of who our customers were. So our more knowledgeable customers uh, came in and they said, hey, we're seeing this. We know something's going to happen. Tell us what you're seeing on your end. And does it make sense to continue doing what we're doing, pivoting, and or does the spend make sense even, in, even though it might be in different activities? That was like the reaction of, say, more senior, more, you know, financially, like people with higher financial acumen, really. They were like, hey, I understand that I'm, get, I'm putting in X dollars and getting Y results out, but can I still get that or do I have to pivot or are my results going to be truncated so they're not what they are today? Now, there's other people that, you know, maybe like it's more of like a business that they started off as their passion rather than, you know, like a business degree per se. Um, those people were like in, out of the gate, like cancel everything. It's like no conversation, just like an email at best because like they, they were sending like a copy paste email to, you know, 20 different suppliers. Um, those required a conversation. I would say that off the bat, um, as soon as kind of people got the reality, you know, especially once restaurants closed, I think that was like the, 
the line in the sand where people were like, you know, 10% of the population or whatever just got laid off. Um, and people like, like, like freaked out. Um, about a week and a half later, I mean, that one week was like the busiest week for us by far because basically it required us to deep dive every single client um, for, good, for good or bad and basically tell people what was real and what wasn't. And what came back was some people should cut their budget. Some people should remain the same, but pivot to like different tactics and other people should quadruple down because there's actually a lot of industries right now that are experiencing record sales. Um, you know, we maybe, probably- maybe what, what, yeah, what are, what, yeah. Why don't you, before Joel kind of hops in here, why don't you, what are some of those industries that you're seeing a, a big increase in sales? Anybody that was an established e-commerce in any way, shape, or form before any of this happened has a massive like upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our clients that are in the e-commerce space right now are seeing record months. Uh, an example that I can give you without disclosing anything is, uh, you know, March and April are the slowest months for uh, one specific company we deal with. And they are, they put up record sales in the last 30 days, given their busy season. Wow. So like this is their dead season right now. There's a busy season that is probably like a 30 to 40% differential, just seasonality. And they are beating the high water level probably by 30 to 40% right now. That's so crazy. are you seeing then, Nick, a lot of businesses that were not online or doing e-commerce online trying to get up and running as quickly as they can? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of that too. Um, but I mean, quite frankly, like there's no nice way to sugarcoat this. Like online is more competitive than off. Um, people are getting sales out of the gate when they're, I mean, setting up like coupons and things like that, which are great and retail needs it for sure because they have no other path except e-commerce. If, if their product allows for it, that's a big F. Um, but the problem that they're seeing is that the second that they get online and they start advertising, they're getting killed by people that are already native to, to the e-commerce industry because e-commerce is a lot harder to figure out than many people think. Um, and people have been running campaigns for years and know what to do. Um, and so people are entering just kind of dipping their toe in and like they're, they might be getting results, but the reason they are getting results is because of the brand equity that they've built with their clientele before they went e-commerce on a short basis. The people that have been established well before any of this happened mm-hmm. are just doubling down their spend because they're seeing the upside in sales. So Nick, I've heard you talk a few times and, and you mentioned it right off the bat. What makes you different is your strong focus on data. Um, For people out there that might be business owners or maybe they're not big into the the digital world, maybe you can just break that down for us. What do you mean by that? And why do you think a lot of people ignore some of the things that I know you guys look at really closely? Yeah, I mean, without without talking here for 20 minutes straight about it, it's like, you know, because if I get going, like it goes deep. there's a couple of different factors. I mean, for one, it's about online. You can segment customer demographics like never before. So people say, hey, like I have these, you know, like we use like 50 different personas or whatever it is. It's like, 
great, each persona behaves three different ways online. So like you don't have 50 personas, you have like 150 and that maybe is a starting point. Um, because people say like, hey, like, you know, people usually qualify personas as demographics and psychographics. It's like, hey, there's this person's between 35 and 45 and they like the outdoors. It's like, okay, great. How do they behave online? It's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, well, that thing that you just described, there's like 10 subgroups inside of it on online behavior. Um, and being able to then reverse engineer how they buy, that's how we use the data. Um, but it really what it comes down to is that we're trying to connect on the back end, everything from original connection point. So if somebody saw an ad, they became a customer and they bought multiple times and we connect all the data from cradle to grave on that, on those transactions to say, this is how this customer was acquired on a discrete basis. Like they looked at this ad in this campaign and you know, this is how much we spent to acquire this customer, right? Not on aggregate. And so what where we're different is that, you know, KPIs are great, key performance indicators. Yep. But we really rely on metrics. Um, metrics are about money. KPIs are about things that predict if money will come out of it. The problem is that when people focus on KPIs only, you can game KPIs without the resulting metrics that should be due ever happening. If that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. So, I mean, I guess if we're talking about, we talked, you just talked a little bit about some of the success that you've been seeing for some of your clients or some of the industries. What are some like and glaring obvious like mistakes or red flags that you see companies doing right now during this type of crisis? Um, I'm seeing actually pretty much everything. And what I mean by that is I'm seeing places cut budget when they shouldn't. And I'm seeing people doubling down when they should not be doubling down on, on sales and marketing. Um, you know, like one of our clients was like, I want to be super aggressive in this situation and this, that, whatever. And, I'm, and you know, we have pretty close relationships with our clients where we get down to like, you know, we talk P&L and we review P&Ls with them. And I'm looking at their P&L. I'm looking at their like, you know, balance sheet cash, cash position. And I'm like, you have no business doubling down on marketing. Like, I'm right. sorry, like, you, your cash cushion isn't sufficient. Like, we need to help you cut. And you need to come up with an operational plan to cut back your expenses based on your position. Then we can have a conversation about being aggressive and acquiring market share. But you're not in a position to do so today. I think um, it's really great, Nick, sorry, that, that you have those conversations with people because Adam and Leyland and I talked about this when we were kicking off this kind of month of podcasting of every day talking to somebody different to find out what's working in their industry or how they're, how they're managing. And the one thing that we, we hear a lot is, you know, whenever they study downturns in the economy, if you were to double down on your sales and double down on your marketing, those are the companies that come out ahead of the other companies. And so you can understand why a business goes, okay, well, it's a downturn quickly. Let's triple our spend. Let's add, add more sales because this is what I've always been told I'm supposed to do in this downtime. And I think it's really cool that you actually sit down and go, well, look, I know you think you might do that, but you know, again, I, let's look at the numbers and maybe your business shouldn't do that. Well, to your point, Joel, like that, what you said is infinitely true. Like co companies that double down on marketing and sales during a slowdown 
always come out better than everybody else. And, and it's kind of like that winner take all thing. Yeah. The thing is, is that, you know, all those cases, like, I mean, I've read them. There's like four by the Harvard business, like the Harvard business review, right? I've read every single one of them. The companies that they're using to make these calls are fortune 500 companies. Like they, their coffers are insanely big. Right. So like, right. You know, how, how, how a big business runs their cash position versus a smaller business is completely different. Like, like mid to large businesses, and I'm not even talking Fortune 500, but I'm talking like larger businesses that have a, a proper board of directors. They're running three to six months cash of all of their expenses. So it's like you take three to six months of every single expense in your company, they have that in cash on hand today. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, so, and that's not the reality for the, that's small, not reality for small business. Like somebody running a business between two and, or even one and $20 million in top line, unless they're C, like their CFO or VP finance has a ton of power in your organization and gets their way. You're not carrying that kind of cash position around. People just don't. So, you know, like regular small business and, and I don't know if people know this, but regular small business, most companies, carry very small amounts of cash, dip into their line of credit fairly regularly. And the people that have cash on hand and never go into their line of credit are rare. Mm-hmm, right. Because it's like, look, why, why would you keep that much cash in, in, your, in your bank account? Like the last 12 years after the last recession, 2009, so like 11 years, last 11 years, like if you carry your bank account at zero balance and just use your line of credit, it's probably best because you were being super aggressive on how you're using cash to fund growth. But if you, that's how you were managing it in March of 2020, you just ran yourself into a problem. So I don't actually blame anyone. I don't think it's short-sighted of people to you know, be in the, the positions that they're in. My point here is, is that there's a scale to this and there's a methodology of running companies of different sizes. And yes, absolutely, double down on marketing if you can. But the reality of small businesses is that you cannot. So what do you tell, so you talked about cutting operational costs for some of these businesses that are cutting back on, on certain things to help see if you can kind of maybe uh, weather out the two, three months. What are you suggesting to some of these clients who still need to procure sales or to do some sort of marketing? Like you like, you need to market, you don't have the cash flow to market. What, what are they supposed to do? Well, I mean, in some cases it just means taking their current marketing budget and cutting it. Right. So, I mean, if somebody's spending 5% uh, of their budget in marketing, maybe it's about going down to 2.5, but pivoting the tactics that are being done in order to do so. Um, if you were doing the same tactics today than you, that you were doing a, a month ago, like they're not working. Yeah. They're not going to work today. Right. Like today's, you know, the middle of April, like, yeah, beginning, if you're doing now what you're doing in the beginning of March, it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and most companies I'm sure it, in the one to even $5 million age, you'd be hard pressed to find uh, a handful of them that actually know what their marketing budget should be for the, for the year. It's rare. I mean, um, people kind of market because they think they have to, um, people call marketing, some marketing activity sales. Some people call some sales activities, marketing, uh, the definitions aren't as clear because I mean, usually it's owned by one person anyway, which is usually the owner anyway. Um, usually 
chief marketing officer is the owner of a business until you get a VP of sales and marketing at some point. Right. Yeah. So, we, we believe it should be 90% they spend on marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guys who work in marketing. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, the, the main message here is like, don't arbitrarily cut, right? Um, and what sales and marketing activities matter most now are different than they were 45 days ago. Right. So you mentioned that. So Nick, you said earlier as well, people are acting differently online and, and obviously I'm sure they are. What are some sort of tangible things you're seeing that people are actually doing differently today than they were doing say one month ago? Um, I guess, well, I mean, certain industries are obviously, you know, people are searching for certain things way less like travel, et cetera, like obvious things like that. Yeah. Um, on a more specific basis, like more tactical, I guess, is, uh, people are con consuming more long form content. Um, you know, before try to get somebody to view something for a minute, good luck. Uh, now people are consuming things that are longer uh, with, with higher frequency. Right. Like, and, and, and do you, do you see like, let's say for instance, uh, obviously different verticals of business, uh, customers are consuming a particular type of content, but what do you like, what type of content are you seeing people consume right now in a business sense outside of like the Netflix outside of that. Yeah. I mean like actual B2B content. I mean, this is what I, we're telling people. Like if you have a longer message to tell people, like if your methodology is a bit more complex, you know, it, it's a, like a two minute explainer video. It's like, now's the time. Uh, yeah. People will actually consume it, especially like if you have like a sales team that's sending that video out as a piece of collateral it works right now. Like people before it's like, Oh, I'm over 30 seconds, hard pass. Like I don't have time for this. People have time now. Like that, that's reality. I mean, a lot of it has to do with not working in the office. Your phone isn't ringing. Uh, you know, like if, if you, all you have to do is dial a three number extension to call someone, uh, you're not maybe receiving as many calls. So if you're sending people information that's long form, people are consuming it more, which means that they're getting exposed to your brand in a more in depth way. Um, that fundamentally changes the sales funnel, uh, for people. So yeah, like a, a lot more complex products can now be sold easier than they were a month ago. Right. Yeah. We, uh, we had to make a call into our, uh, indeed rep for placing a job posting. And, uh, he said, uh, he answered the phone. He said, ah, thanks for calling. It's my first call all day. I'm just sitting at home. It was three o'clock <laughs> and he had just been sitting. I mean, obviously, you know, maybe the, um, the job ads are, are maybe not as busy these days with people getting, getting laid off. However, there are companies out there that are hiring. Um, but you're right. People are kind of sitting around working from home and, and they're definitely willing to consume. Nick, I'm curious. You have this, I, I love the way you look at marketing. You, you talk different than most marketing people I know. Um, where does this come from? Maybe just tell us a little bit about, about your background and where um, sort of your, your views on all this came from. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, business degree focused in on actually marketing um, as, as a starting point. Um, early in my career, reported up the chain like very quickly, like although it was at like, you know, kind of that, that entry level. Um, I was reporting into C-suite and, and VP level people and taking work off their desk that they didn't have the time to do. Um, mergers and acquisitions, 
um, pivoted really hard into operations. Um, you know, I took this, the CFA, the chartered financial analyst, um, uh, courses as well. So like my finances is pretty strong for a marketer. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, the last few years has been operations inside of an agency. So to me, like, I think, I think of things a lot more tangibly than others in, in that sense. Uh, when we compare to the greater, I guess, like marketing field, um, and to me, like, you know, people present me even internally with KPIs. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like where, what, what was the money output we generated for our client? Right. And I think marketers have a hard time being like, well, this is the tangible output. Um, most, mostly because they haven't been taught how, and mostly because the, the technology to do, to prove ROI cheaply has only been around for a couple of years. Um, I think that's the short answer. Yeah, it's funny. You know, they used to say, in, you know, kind of before the internet and advertising that 50% of advertising works. The problem was nobody knew which 50. Yeah. And so, you, you but know, now and, you can. and now you can, you're right. Now, now we have all of this data to be able to study it. And still, I guess a lot of people out there are not really taking the time to really understand exactly what it is they're trying to do and what customers they're going after. So, Obviously, you guys help people do that. By the way, Nick, I noticed that uh, Blue Meta has a podcast. And Adam, how come we haven't been invited on your podcast? <laughs> we, uh, we put it on hold for a bit. Oh, okay. Um, like, be, to be quite frank, like at this point, we are incredibly busy. Um, lots of new business dev activity right now. Because um, people need to pivot. And people see... You know, especially people that have lived through 2008 and 9 or, or in the 90s, like the dot-com stuff, um, people know that have been in a leadership position for more than 10 years. People know that even if we go back to business as usual in 30 days from today, like say call it the middle of May, like full on, like no social distancing, no nothing, which is highly optimistic. But even if that's true, people with more leadership experience know that people will not revert to the behavior that they had before fully, no matter what, mm-hmm. like the, post, you know, yeah. 2009 world was different from the pre it, it just was. And the same thing's going to happen here, just like it has multiple times before. Um, and those people are concerned because they're like, look, you know, we have a strategy. We have a whole bunch of strategic objectives that, now might not work. So we need to go into strategic planning from the top down right now. Okay. So let's say, uh, Nick, and I think it would be, I mean, a huge, uh, and I think incredibly valuable to take some of your time because I know how busy you are. Um, but give, give some things that businesses can do that takeaway that they don't necessarily need to come to marketing companies like us or your, or blue meta. Like what are some of the things that if you're a business who is either brick and mortars or B2B, you have a website, you have all the social platforms, you you maybe don't have the funds to go and hire a marketing company. What are some of the things that they should be looking at in, in terms of their marketing mix or their social platforms or their Google ads or whatever they're doing? Like, you know, what are some of the basic things that somebody should be isolating and looking at in, in terms of like a checklist that you, that you, yeah, that you I mean, warranted? I, it, to me, it's not as much maybe of a checklist as it is um, looking at what the variables are and, and then giving a checklist. But 
Um, you know, when I said don't arbitrarily cut, you know, there's different, there's different situations. So what happens, what happens if you are cash crunched versus you're not cash crunched? Um, focusing on your existing customers is a no brainer at this point, like doubling down on those customers that have already bought from you, um, and market to those people by just creating a better relationship with them. Um, trying to increase purchase frequency really and, and purchase size. Um, and then it's all really about testing at this time. It's like, get your data of what you were doing before test to see if it's still working. If it's not, you need to start pivoting, tweaking and testing new things. Um, outside of that, like if you're more B2C focused, I would say that you now have to really look at your customer segmentation. Uh, there's people that just slam on the brakes. There's people that, um, you know, are, are going to basically put off purchases until times are better. There are people that are well off and their behavior basically has not changed in any way, shape or form because they have money in the bank. Um, and then there are people that are classified as like live for today, which again, they're not stopping a whole lot of purchases either for different reasons, even though they may not have the money. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're in B2C pivoting, to messaging more around comfort, like we're gonna get through this together as you, everyone has seen right now. Um, those are the right things to do. Um, but honestly, a lot of it does come down to your cash position versus your competitors. Um, and I'm gonna specifically say that because as an example, like if you and your competitors, you think that they're in, in the same boat as you are, um, if you don't, push sales and marketing more aggressively and they do, you're basically making a bet on whether or not they succeed or fail. Because if they succeed, they're going to take market share away from you. But if they fail, you save the money and they're no better off, but you're not in the driver's seat anymore. Um, if your competitors are in a much better cash position than you are uh, and you're in a weak cash position, this is where you have to find um, underserved niches that your co competition doesn't serve and attack those and grow that way because otherwise they're just going to canvas like where you compete directly uh, and through their superior budget they're just going to like push you down so it's like a, a dangerous game of cat and mouse you you know what it's it's not about just what you do it's also about what the market and your com competition's doing. You have to look at these things. So Nick, I don't normally ask this question, but you've talked a little bit about it. And that is, um, wh what are your thoughts for the next kind of, let's call it immediate future, and then six months, nine months down the road as far as um, you know, the economy goes? Um, without getting super, super financial, um, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm very interested in seeing if the European banks hold up. Um, if the European banks give out, I mean, they may be in Europe, but they affect the economy here greatly. Uh, if they give out, I mean, we're like, you're, it's a global depression because the dominoes start falling in specific ways. Um, I think that the social distancing thing, like it'll, it'll wax and wane. Like right now it's being hit hard. They're going to relax it. Then it's going to be pushed again um, until there's some sort of way to mitigate the symptoms and or a vaccine, which is probably months and months away. 
Um, the Canadian government and the U.S. government are printing money like it's going out of style. Like, I don't even know where they find the ink anymore. Uh, right. Like, five, five or seven trillion in the States. Canada's printing money. Um, I have no idea why the Canadian dollar is what it is. Um, like, our economy is tourism, oil, and construction. Two of those things are dead. Um, you can't pump a barrel of oil in the oil sands at, at variable cost, let alone cover your fixed cost. Um, so the Canadian dollar versus U.S., I think it's like at a dollar forty should be a dollar seventy. I mean, it, it just doesn't stand to reason. Um, for Canada, what that means is, you know, if, if you can sell them to the states, they're probably going to get through this faster than we are, um, and. Part of my prediction around that is because they're going to let it run through their country. They're going to just like let people get sick. I mean, that's what it appears to be anyway. Um, well, it seems to be what Trump that, wants to do. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's like he's making a bet that they can pull out of this faster than any other country at, at, at the cost of human lives. I mean, like I, I can't weigh in on that. I mean, I would not do it myself, but yeah, I mean, I think that a couple of the recent things that were coming up showing that a lot of uh, they were isolating certain um, a certain amount of COVID related deaths uh, to other complications, so not strictly related to it. So they're now talking about it being um, more more along the lines of like a flu, like a flu level, like a flu symptom, a flu a flu crisis, which obviously it is. Um, I think in terms of like, okay, obviously we could, we could try and get into politics or what the global economy is going to be doing in terms of businesses. What do you, what should, what should a business, what should people, what should a leader in a business like yourself be doing right now to mentally stay strong? Because it is like with all this news that's coming out and all these different resources. I know and that's, that, that's usually the question I, I, uh, <laughs> I know. I, I know, feel but- like, I feel like you, like, that's my one question. <laughs> And you took it from me. But whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever. We've been doing this like every day. For like, for <laughs> you asked a new question that threw me off for a little. Okay. So this is like a te- this is still your question. Okay, thank like, you. I, I just want credit for the question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, yeah. I, this is, I don't even want to ask it the same way. And I'll, let me rephrase it a little bit. What what are what do you what kind of advice would you be giving to businesses just on a personal level right now? And then George, cash. your cash. Yeah, but what if cash like, is not like, a- Honestly, like cash. I mean, every decision that you make today should be in the focus of your cash position. That's it. Like in times where you don't know where the end of the tunnel is, you need to make sure that you plan for the worst and hope for the best. So you need to look at your cash position in terms of the worst case scenario that way you don't like either a you don't have to lay anyone off or you mitigate the amount of layoffs you need to do overall um and that's really what it's about it's like you know like how like you mind the cash position specifically because that ensures that the least people are impacted by this within your organization and your customers as well because like, look, there's a ton of organizations out there in the market right now that they're being praised. It's like, look, these companies are still paying their employees, even though people are working from home, et cetera, et cetera. It's like what the, the other side of this is, is that those companies were strong companies with a high profit margin 
that's why they're not laying people off. Mm -hmm. So Nick, how are you handling it um, internally yourself, just this crisis? It's been very difficult for a lot of people. We're inundated with a lot of stuff personally. And then just how Blue Meta, what have you guys done to adapt? I'm, we can let everybody know we normally work in the same building and you guys aren't here yeah. right now. Um, you guys are, I'm assuming all kind of working in, in, in different spots. So how do you as the CEO manage um, and how's your team doing overall? Yeah. I mean, I think that the challenge with this is that it's, it's anxiety and stress of the situation uh -huh. uh, again, because there's no clear ending. Um, so the focus has to be around like very, very few things. Like usually people push an agenda that's too big. Um, focusing on like the top two, three things, um, you know, adopting like the culture of gratitude, which we always have had internally. It's just about pushing that a bit more. It's like, Hey, like we're all thankful. We've done zero layoffs. You know, everybody's getting paid on time. Like business is good. Um, and you know, we are grateful for that because we know people in like in, in the same industry that are just like, they got cut in half. Like there, I, I know agencies that have got cut in half on their top line revenue in the last four weeks. And that hasn't been our story. Um, I've seen people do layoffs, like, you know, interim uh, pay, payroll cuts for the people that even stay behind. We haven't done any of it. And, you know, we just have gratitude and we're grateful to our clients as well that have seen the value that we bring through this situation. But as a leader, like, you know, when anxiety is high, less is more in my opinion. I know. I like the gratitude. I've heard that a few times from different people we've talked to is, you know what, in these tough times, you've got to be thankful for the things that are going well. Well said. Adam, I think, uh, I think that's our time with Nick today. That is our time with Nick. And I, and I, and I feel like I could listen to you chat um, for a lot longer, the confidence that you have and, and obviously your experience and just the fact that you do take a data first mm -hmm. position, incredibly valuable, not only for this time. And I think uh, if this podcast is, if anybody's listening to this podcast and they haven't been thinking about these things, I, I, I don't think a lot of the things that Nick has been saying should be a scare tactic, but it should be a scare tactic so that you get your business in check, you get these things lined up so that if something like this was to happen again, you're, you know what you can deal with because I think we have been pretty complacent, especially businesses that maybe have started in the last five, five years, six years, they haven't had to weather a storm like this. And when it's all, you know, daisies and butterflies, it's all daisies and butterflies. But what happens when it starts to rain? You know, can you, can you still grow flowers? That's a bad, bad metaphor. But I was just trying to end with something. I was trying to make Nick laugh. And guess what? I made him laugh. So um, you know what? That's it's good. Like, I mean, like, we're all going to get through this. It's like winter now. Spring will come. It always does. Like, that's the positive in all of this. Um, but, you know, being productively paranoid will, will prevent a lot of pain, right? right. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, that's what it's about. Well said, sir. Nick, uh, from the team at uh, The Story Behind the Business and Leyland, who's not here today, we say thank you thank and you uh, stay safe. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nick. And stay, and stay blue. <laughs>